Well, as you open up again at page 574 to Isaiah 53. Please join again with me in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we keep being reminded and we know that your word is precious and a lamp to our path and a light to our feet. And we know the way too that it is so easy to hear what it says but not take it on board like the person who sees their reflection in the mirror and forgets what they look like. And so Heavenly Father, enable us to hear these words and please by your spirit rivet them into our beings. Amen. Well, before morning tea, Isaiah disclosed what the servant would do. He was wounded for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, and by his stripes we have been healed. And in that last session we looked at the surprising servant, how he came as the replacement for our punishment. Isaiah promised it, and for 700 years the people waited for that servant who we know his name to be Jesus. And as Jesus came, he completed that task. He took our punishment. And every Easter, we remember that he died that horrible death on the cross as he took our punishment for us. And we considered also in our last talk, how could you not, what's happening in the Ukraine, and we prayed for that again this morning. The images that we see coming to us from what's happening over there are so vivid. Multi-storey Soviet-era accommodation now absolutely flattened. I have no idea where people are living. We see hospitals destroyed over there. We see playgrounds ruined. And we assume that there is no family that is immune from someone who has been killed. And what do you think the people from Kiev or Mariupol or the cities in the east uh, that are being bombed at the moment, what do you think they are looking forward to? I'm sure they desperately want an end to hostility. I'm sure they want no more rockets flying overhead and that would be enough for them. I'm sure they want no more tanks in their streets. That'd probably be enough for them. No more body bags returning their loved ones. That'd be enough for them. Children being able to play outside. Couples going for a walk. That'd probably be enough. Just an end to the destruction and the pain. That would be enough. And when you get to Isaiah chapter 53 verse 9... I think we could think that would be enough. The Lord has laid on Jesus the sins and judgment of us all. That would be enough, wouldn't it? Enough to know that God will not hold against me anything that I have done. That would be enough. But there is more. Isaiah chapter 53, if you're open there, from verse 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him, to put him to grief. 
And when when his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring and he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hands and out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressions. Yet he bore the sin of many and made intercession for transgressions. Did you hear there in those three verses that so much more? God crushed his servant. He crushed his servant as the way that judgment would be justly executed. And we keep being told of the innocent Jesus who gave up his life on the cross as a replacement. But we are told here at the end of chapter 53 that after he has replaced the sin of the people, God will prolong his days. How is that possible? How is it possible to die and yet have your days prolonged? How can you die and continue to live? Because not only will iniquities and sin be borne by the servant so that because of that our sins will not be held against us, those who are considered to have their sins forgiven are not just people who have their sins forgiven, they are counted as righteousness. You and I, if you belong to Jesus, are seen by God as not having sin. Nothing that you have ever done will ever, ever again be held against you, be held against you. Don't we all wish that we could undo past mistakes? No matter who you are, we all have so many regrets, but there is nothing that will ever be held against you. No matter how bad it has been, no matter how often you've done it, no matter how long you've kept redoing it, never held against you. And so the benefits of the servant being blessed by God and all the things that he gets from that, Isaiah says, as the servant gives himself up for the sins of other people, God will somehow prolong his days and bless him for that and not just bless him for it, that it will overflow to other people as well. Got my visual aid. (laughs) You were wondering what I'm going to do, aren't you? So am I. Um, Let's see if this one works. It's more complicated. It, it It looked in the last session like I was having a cup of black coffee. Orange juice? This is, this gold-coloured thing is God in all of his purity, God who has absolute power and control and authority over everything. As his servant does what God the Father promised, so now he takes that which is his and showers it upon his servant. 
And so as the servant is obedient, even obedient to death on the cross, God the Father pours out on him all of his blessings so that the servant shares in that victory of God the Father. But in these three verses, it tells us that God doesn't stop in filling up the blessings for the servant. He keeps pouring his blessings onto the servant and pouring and pouring and pouring so that not only is the servant filled, filled to overflowing, and that overflow goes to those people who the servant has cleansed as well. And so that gold material in the bottom, that bottom bowl, is us. Do you see what I'm saying? As God honours his son, the servant, the Lord Jesus Christ, so much blessing flows to him that it overflows from him and spills over to everybody who owns the name of Jesus. And you think, how is that possible? Because that's you and me. As Jesus, who was dead, is now seated in glory at the right hand of the Father, ruling the universe, that is not just all that's happening. So you and I, Christian person, are blessed by God. How is that possible? How can the dead one have descendants? How can God's blessing of the servant be of benefit to us? Well, let's just have a look. Here is an image of a valley that we're going to come back to. And let me explain to you that photo. The replacement is like the journey of the servant of Jesus down that steep left-hand face on the left-hand side of the picture. In Isaiah chapter 53, the servant starts at the top of that valley. There he has nothing to commend himself. And so he begins the descent. He is laughed at and mocked, says Isaiah. And yet he continues to descend further. He is despised and rejected. He is acquainted with grief. And yet he descends further. He is crushed for our iniquities. He was led to the slaughter. The servant descends from the heights on the left-hand side into the lowest point of the valley. And Isaiah said that the servant would do that. And the servant, when he came, Jesus, did exactly that. When we heard from Rod at the beginning of our last session, he read to you from the beginning of Philippians chapter 2, where there Paul urged the people to be united because we are united in Christ. And then he goes on in verse 5 of Philippians chapter 2. Jesus Christ, who though was, he was in the very form of God, didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient, obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. You heard the descent in Isaiah chapter 53, didn't you? Hear the exact same descent of Jesus in Philippians chapter 2. He was God, but he didn't just sit back and enjoy that. He emptied himself. He became a servant. 
He gave up heaven's benefits and became a man, a human being with all of its limitations. And not just became a human being with all of its limitations, in that human state he was obedient and obedient to even to death, and death in the most gruesome of ways. It is not just a painful death that Jesus endured to replace us. It was a sign that he was under the curse of God. And so Jesus has descended from the top of that valley to the top of that mountain down into the depths of the valley. And if the story had have ended there, it would have been good because he replaces our sins, because the servant has come and taken our iniquities it could be us who are swimming happily in the river at the bottom, swimming happily and enjoying life because we've been made clean by the work of the servant. That would be great. But it doesn't end there. Because Isaiah saw that the servant would make many righteous, that the servant would share his victory with the people that he had substituted for. And the servant named Jesus does not stay at the bottom of the valley. He doesn't stay dead after he substitutes for us on the cross. Again, the next verses of Philippians chapter 2, verse 9. Obedient even to death on the cross is where eight, verse 8 finished, and now verse 9. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, from that very bottom of the valley, from the grave, Jesus ascends from the valley. He ascends from the dead. When you are dead, the best that you can hope for is a plaque that says you existed. But God brought Jesus back to life. And not just brought him back to life, but gave him the name that is above every name. So he is not just Jesus. He is the Lord Jesus. He is the King. He is the Magnificent. He is the All-Powerful. There is no other name that matches it. No matter who you might be, no matter how grand you are, no matter how many titles you might have before your name or after your name, none of that matters because every knee will bow before him. Everybody will confess his greatness. Now I know it certainly doesn't feel like that now. But one day, Jesus, the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, will return in the clouds. And as he returns, it could even be today, as he returns, everything will be stopped and everyone will bow down to him. And for the first time and maybe the only time in human, uh, human history, with one voice, everything will be united and declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. The right-hand side of the mountain is that which Jesus ascends. And as he ascends to the top of that mountain, everything is as it should be. But even that is not the end of the magnificent story. As God glorifies his son, the Lord Jesus, the servant, so too, just like this 
gold-coloured liquid here, his glory spills over to us now, and so we will share in that glory. Isaiah knew this. Isaiah foretold this. Remember those last words of Isaiah 53. He will divide his spoil. Spoil is just the language of what you get when you were victorious. He will divide his spoil with the strong and he will share the benefits of his victory. Not just that he has victoriously beaten death, but in his victory we get the blessings as well. Come with me, if you're quick, ever so quickly over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the passage that Hannah read to us before. It's on page 908. And you can see it. Here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we have a personal recollection from the Apostle Paul. You will remember the Apostle Paul. He was a Jewish leader and he was convinced that Jesus was a bad man. He was convinced that Jesus was someone who was going to destroy the faith and the religion of Israel. Now, Paul would have been around Jesus at the same time, and so he would have been in Jerusalem at the same time as Jesus. And even perhaps, we don't know this, perhaps he saw Jesus crucified as our substitute and as our replacement. And certainly, if he wasn't there to see it, he would have known about it, he would have heard about it. And we do know what he thought the death of Jesus was all about, because he tells us. He saw as Jesus was hanging there on the cross, he saw that God was rightly judging him. Because Paul says, as he thinks about Jesus dying on the cross, which is like a tree, he remembered the words of the Old Testament that is cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. And so as he's hanging there, Paul points the finger and says, you are under the judgment of God. You are being punished by God. And after the death of Jesus, after the resurrection of Jesus, Paul gave himself to the task of destroying that movement that Jesus had begun. He went around finding the Christians and having them persecuted. And then, we saw, remember, in Acts last term, he met Jesus on the road. And he met Jesus, not the one who was hanging on a tree, but Jesus who had ascended into heaven with all of the blessings of God, with all of his glory and power. And so pick it up with me in chapter 5, verse 16. From now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. In the flesh... Paul assumed that Jesus was being judged by God for his own evil action. Not now, though. Paul came to know that as Jesus hung on that cross under the judgment of God, it was not for his own sins, but as a replacement for your sins and my sins. Yes, it is true, it was cursed is the one who was hanging on the tree but cursed not for what he did, but for what you and I have done. And now, having been raised by God, Jesus shares his victory 
with those he is a substitute for. So he goes on in verse 17, just pause and savour how wonderful this overflow of the blessing of God is. Verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. For our sake, God made him who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You're in Christ. You're a Christian. You're someone whom Christ has replaced. Like this, the old has gone, the new has come. Look around you. You are an alien. Everyone who is not a Christian is a creature of dust and they will return to dust under the judgment of God. But because of what Christ has done, you are a new creation. If anyone's in Christ, you are a new creation. And God will not count anything against us. What God is in his absolute purity is what he considers his people to be. Despite the fact that you and I know only too well that day after day we muck it up and God considers us to be as pure as he is. Aren't they great blessings? We sang a little while ago in this session, Mine are the keys of Zion City, where beside the king I walk. Nothing is going to stop that happening. We walk around Maroubra, we walk around the southeast of Sydney now, but we will walk around the New Jerusalem and we will walk beside the one who rules all of eternity. That is the overflow of the blessings of what the servant accomplishes. And we were just led in prayer a moment ago on the Lord's Prayer. I know we don't do it, but we, we should gasp in amazement as that. We can come and call God the one who holds every molecule in this universe together, holds this building in its place, and call him Father. And whether we just say it in our heads, or say it silently, or quietly, or even loudly, we can know that God hears our prayers. Isn't that an incredible blessing? I said when we started this morning, there is nothing that you can compare to what God has offered us and done for us in his servant, in the Lord Jesus Christ. So all of this that we have read in Isaiah 53 was promised 2,700 years ago at the time of Israel's bleakest hour. It had to wait 700 years, but it was fulfilled when Jesus the servant came and when Jesus the servant rose from the dead. And that story has been told for over 2,000 years between then and now. And this now is the future of every person who trusts God. You are a new creation. Your sins will not be held against you. 
It may not look like that's the case, but it is absolutely certain. Some of you know this really well, and you are rejoicing in the opportunity to tell this great news to others. If that's you, continue to be refreshed as you hear it again, because it is the greatest story that has ever been told, it is the greatest story that you can tell, and it's the greatest benefit to anybody that you tell it to. He shall divide the spoil with the strong, and he poured out his soul to death, and was numbered with the transgressors, and therefore he bore the sins of many. But some of you will be surprised as well today, surprised that someone can predict the future so accurately more than 700 years before it happens. Some of you will be surprised that a carpenter from Nazareth was the one who fulfilled the promise. Some of you will be surprised that it's possible that all of the past, all of your past, can be forgiven and what you do in the present will never be held against you and the future, even the future, will be wiped clean. And some of you will be surprised that it's possible to share in the victory of the one who rules everything, everywhere. And you will need more detail than that. Well, we can give you that, so make sure you talk to somebody about it. Either way, though, whether you are refreshed in being reminded of what you know, or surprised, can there be any better news than this? As the war escalates in the eastern Ukraine, they wonder there, I'm sure, what will happen. Will we survive, will we not survive? Will the east go to Russia, or will Ukraine preserve it? That uncertainty is not us. The descent of the servant has occurred and he has been our replacement and our substitute. Nothing will be held against us. And the ascent of the servant has occurred. He rules from heaven and he shares his victory. There is no maybes about the future. There will never be enough days for our hearts and voices to be full of thankfulness. Will you join with me in prayer? Lord God, thank you for showing us these truths all those centuries ago. Thank you for surprisingly fulfilling them in the Lord Jesus. And thank you that we who wait for his return can be confident that all that is his, he shares with those who are his. And so, Lord God, our heart is full with thankfulness to the one who bore our shame. And our heart is full of thankfulness for your great generosity and grace that spills over to us in ways that we can only just begin to imagine. Amen.